Amen. Y'all may be seated. It's so good to see everybody this morning. My name is Jonathan Locke. I am the uh, Antioch campus pastor here. Pastor Derek uh, is is traveling uh, around today, I believe. He is, he is checking out all of our different uh, uh, overflow and, and, and our, our Ridgeview campus and, and Mission Esperanza and, and those different types of things. And so uh, you get the glory, the blessedness of being here with me, right? So um, now let me ask you a question, a couple of questions. Have, have you ever wondered what God is up to? Like, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing things a certain way? Um, you know, God, I had plans for things to happen this way and it didn't seem to work out the way that I wanted it to. Anybody, anybody ever ask those questions? Okay, so I'm not the only one. So when I entered college, I had a great plan. My plan was to teach photography and then to step into the public school system and, and, and coach baseball. I love baseball and so I wanted to be a baseball coach. But even more than that, I wanted to bring Christ into the public school, right? I was gonna save the public school system and, and bring Christ into the public school and, and teach. I wanted to lead FCA and I wanted, I had all these grand plans and I included God in them. And so my junior year of college, I had to take a test called the Praxis Test, which is a test that you need to take in order to get your teaching license. And I, I took it four times. Because each time I missed a section of that test by one point. And so finally I opened up this last piece of you know, mail that I received that had my scores in it. And I looked at it and I said, dang it, one point on a completely different section of the test. And so then I began to go, God, what? What do you want me to do? I had this great plan. God, where are you? What are you up to? At that moment, I remember feeling like, God, do you even care? Do you care where, where I'm at and what I'm dealing with? Are you even concerned about, about me? And obviously he was, but he had a completely different plan for my life, a completely different direction. But at the time though, I was so focused on my grand plan, right, that I completely missed out on his direction for my life. See, I'm sure that we've, we've all been there at some point We've had some similar experience. You, you had this picture in your head of what your life would look like, and it just hasn't ended up that way. Maybe it's been better, right? Maybe, maybe it's a little bit worse. Or you might be there right now just questioning, God, where, where are you? What are you doing? I'm, I have all this pain. I have all this hurt. I have this past. What, what, what is your plan for me? And let me assure you that you might feel like you're the only one to feeling this way, but you're not alone. There's many of us sitting in this room right now that are probably in the same place that you are and in the same situation, but you're not alone. Not only that in this room, but all throughout scripture, we see God's people finding themselves in the same situation. So this morning, we're going to start our, our new uh, series in the book of Exodus, and we're going to be in Exodus chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 1 this morning. 
And what we're going to see throughout this series is, is a theme. And it's a theme that God has a plan. God has an ultimate plan. He's not surprised by what's happening here on earth. He's not just winging it, but he has a plan. But what we're going to see is rarely do the people that we read about understand that plan, have a clear understanding of that plan. But a lot of the reasons is because God's plan is really never the way that we would have planned it, his creation. His plans are always different. So this morning, as we dive into God's word together, I pray that we'll see how the Old Testament book of Exodus and God's plan for his people is connected to us today and his plan for us today. So if you would read with me, Exodus chapter one, starting in verse one through seven. So these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now verse 6. Then Joseph died, and all of his brothers, and all of that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So everybody's favorite part about reading scripture is names, right? Okay, I think I handled that, but we're, we're going to keep going. But what we see in these first seven verses is that a, a, a history, right? We see a, a history. And what we learned last week, as Pastor Derek kind of explained our, our journey through the book of Exodus, is that the book of Exodus is really just a continuation of the book of Genesis. So to help us understand what's happening here in Exodus chapter 1, we do need to step back and look at Genesis and grasp who is God and help us try to understand God's plan. And I'm not kidding by stepping back. We're going back to chapter 1. Okay, so Genesis chapter one, we're gonna go back in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the best part about his creation was the creation of people. And I say that because humans are created in the image of God. They're the only thing created in the image of God. So we have these two people, Adam and Eve in Genesis one, and God gave them very specific commands. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. And he told Adam and Eve, basically, Go fill the earth. Have babies. And have them grow up to have babies and so on. He wants you to multiply. And the goal is to fill the earth with his people so that they will know God and worship him and rule the earth together. Or as we learn on Sunday nights in my class that I teach, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, it says, fill the earth so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That was their command. Do it. But we all know that something terrible happened. 
Adam and Eve sinned against God and messed up everything. So, that, so much so that all of creation has fallen. And it got so bad that God wiped out the entire earth except for Noah and his family with a worldwide flood. He wiped out all the people, okay? But Noah and his family, when they stepped out of the ark, were given instructions. Listen to these instructions, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So what was God's instructions to Noah and his family? Multiply. Multiply. So what does God want to happen? He, he doesn't instruct them to multiply because he is some power-hungry God who, who just wants people to boss around. No, he wants to share in relationship with his creation, with him, and with one another. And we know this because here in Genesis is the first time where we see this word covenant, right? A, co a covenant is a chosen relationship. When we start discipleship groups, the first thing that we do is we sign a covenant with one another, saying that we are going to come together and promise one another that we are going to finish this together. The covenants that God makes with people are his promises to them. And more than that, they show his desire for a relationship. See, God desires a family of people to join together to enjoy him. Enjoy who he is and glorify him forever. So let's skip forward a few, a few pages in, in Genesis. And we come up to a man named Abraham. All right, before Abraham, he was called Abram. His wife, Sarai, becomes Sarah. We're not going to get into that. We're going to call him Abraham today. Okay, so God tells Abraham that he is going to be the father of his people. So God is starting with one man. And through Abraham and his wife, Sarah, God is going to make into a great nation. And they would bless all of the other nations of the earth. But remember, right, when I said that God's plans are never the way that we would have planned. Well, and that's the case here in Genesis chapter 15. See, Abraham begins to question God's plan because Abraham and Sarah are childless. And so they're wondering, okay, how can we do, how can we become a great nation if we cannot have children? And then in chapter 16, Sarah and Abraham don't trust God's plan, and so they therefore try to fulfill it on their own, which messes up everything. It's a big mistake. And then in Genesis chapter 17, verses 1-2, God's plan is still not fulfilled. Like, we would have planned it. So Abraham's 99 years old, still childless. And God says to, this, to, to Abraham, he says this. He says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Have we figured it out yet? What's God's plan? It's to multiply. But this, instead of leaving it in the hands of his people this time, God says, I will multiply you. I am going to do the multiplying. God is the multiplier. Because Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids because they're past their childbearing age, Sarah has a child. Names him Isaac. And Isaac receives the same instruction as his father. 
says, you are my people. I am your God. I'm going to multiply you and make you into a great nation. And then Isaac married and had a son named Jacob. And Jacob received the same instruction. You are my people. I am your God. I'm going to multiply you and make you into a great nation. And so we fast forward a little bit. Jacob and his family are like a daytime soap opera. Okay? He, he takes the idea of multiplication seriously. He has 12 sons with four different women. Okay? 11 sons try to kill the youngest son named Joseph. It's all messed up. But God still uses them, right? So it gives us hope, right? Who's messed up? Everybody raise your hands, right? Okay, we're all messed up. Okay, so there's hope. God still can use us. Joseph ends up not being killed by his brothers, but being sold into slavery, which is then shipped off to Egypt. And I'm not making this stuff up. Joseph ends up becoming the second in command of the whole country. And he helps Egypt survive a famine, but not only Egypt, he saves his family from the famine as well. And those 11 brothers that tried to kill Joseph, Joseph forgives them and invites them to join them in Egypt where they end up coming back together as a one big happy family. And now we're in Exodus chapter one, all right? Did we make it? A little history, little history lesson, Okay. So we're back in Exodus chapter one. I know I left out a lot of details, okay? If you want the details, go back and read Genesis. It really will. It'll help you understand where we're going in Exodus uh, in, in these coming months. Um, so go back and, and, and read what's happening on and grab those details in Genesis. But we made this quick run through Genesis because it's gonna help us understand the beginning of Exodus. Jacob and his 12 sons and their families are in Egypt, there were 70 in total. They were God's people. They were God's people, though, not in the promised land. They were in a foreign land, which God told them about in Genesis chapter 46 to Jacob and in Genesis chapter 15 to Abraham. So now let us jump back into Exodus verse 6. Then Joseph died and all of his brothers and all that generation but the people of Israel were, filled, were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So the writer of Exodus is Moses, who we believe wrote the first five books of the Bible, is making a clear reference back to the beginning, telling us that God's people are fulfilling the very command that God gave Adam and Eve. They're multiplying. They're growing into a mighty nation. And the promises given to Abraham are being fulfilled, just as God has said. The land of Egypt is being filled with God's people. So now let's see what happens. What happens next? Verses 8 through 14. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, the Joseph who saved Egypt from famine. He's kind of, you want to go, dude, read history and you'll know this guy. But he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join, uh, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, let us set taskmasters over them and afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh two uh, store cities, uh, Pithem and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. 
And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And they made their lives bitter with hard service in the mortar and brick, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all of their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So some time has passed. The Pharaoh that knew Joseph and his family, the Pharaoh that gave Joseph a position of power and allowed Joseph to take his family in and, and to be saved from this family is, is no longer there. He's no longer in power. He is actually no longer living. Uh, there was a new Pharaoh and, and he didn't care for God's people. And what we read here is that he's actually afraid He's afraid of them growing up in power. And the more people meant more military power in fighting men. So the more the Israelites grew, the more they became a threat. And so in verse 11, the Pharaoh wanted to stop them from multiplying. If you think about it, they're trying to stop God's plan and God's command. They're picking a fight with God. So how does he do this? By, by treating, how does the Pharaoh, Pharaoh do this? By treating them ruthlessly, right? He made them as slaves and taskmasters to work. But the more that they were oppressed, the harder the work got, the more they multiplied. So since that didn't work, Pharaoh goes to plan B, to something worse. Read with me 15 through 21. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puha. When you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come, uh, comes to them. So God dealt with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. See, Pharaoh's next plan was to deal with the Israelites by killing all the baby boys. Why boys and not girls? Well, the boys were the ones who were going to rise up and create a military, right, and fight against the, uh, the Egyptians. So Pharaoh calls these two midwives, those who help delivering children, to fulfill his plan. But the two that he picked feared God. These two were faithful women, had risked a lot in their obedience. But I love their response. I love their response to Pharaoh. Basically, the Egyptian women are not like the Israel women. They just pop out those kids, right? Like it's nothing, right? But let's not miss this. Because of their faithfulness, God's plan is at work. The people multiplied. Even the midwives multiplied and had their own kids. But Pharaoh's not done yet. He goes on to plan C. He takes it a step further. Then Pharaoh commands, verse 22, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, not just the midwives, all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So Pharaoh's now resorted to genocide. Throw every baby boy into the river. And as we continue to read Exodus, we will see 
that even this awful act against the Israelites does not stop God's plan for his people to multiply. And that's where we end today. We end there today. So God's plan for his people, for himself, was started with one man, Abraham, has now grown into a mighty nation of people. And right now, it doesn't look good for them. They're not in the promised land. They're not blessed from a worldly point of view. They're actually enslaved. And this went on for 400 years. So we can imagine God's people who know his promises of you are my people and I am your God and I'm going to multiply you and I'm going to make you into a great nation. Looking at their circumstances, looking at what's happening in their lives and going, God, this is your plan? I could have thought of a thousand different ways that are way better than this. Have you forgotten about us here? Did we do something wrong to deserve this? And this is a scene that we're going to see throughout Scripture, a scene that we even tend to see in our own lives still today, and we wonder and we doubt and we look to God and we ask God and we question God and we say, God, okay, is this, is this really it? Is this the plan? So this morning before we walk out of here, I want us to consider God's plan of multiplication from Exodus chapter 1 and how that applies to our life. We all want to be faithful to God's plan, right? Yes. Yeah, we all want to be faithful to God's plan. So how do we do that? Well, the first thing is we must know God's plan. We must drill this into our heart, drill this into our minds, drill this into our life. We must know God's plan of multiplication. See, part of God's covenant with Abraham was making a people and passing down those promises from generation to generation so that the people knew who they were and whose they were. They belonged to God. They're God's chosen people. He set them apart and promised to make them into a great nation. Well, church, we are called to that same promise. We are a part of that same promise. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 says this, And if you are Christ's, if you are Christ's, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So what does this mean for us? As a follower of Jesus, we are part of that same plan that the Israelites in the book of Exodus are part of. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God has a grand plan of redemption. The plan for the Israelites and the plan for the church are the same. Multiply. Go and tell. Some of Jesus' last words or go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we are part of that same plan. And here's what's important for us today, is when we go through seasons where we struggle to understand what God is doing and what he is working and how it's going, the first thing that we must remember is his plan. We need to go to his word and remind ourselves of his great love for us. His plan, which included that while we were still sinners, 
while we still fought against him, Christ died for us. He still has a plan for us. We can't forget that. Parents, grandparents, we have to help our kids know this plan and trust in the Lord completely. It's, it's, it's our calling to pass this on to the next generation. One of the, one of the major things that Andrew and I, Andrew is my, my now 19-year-old son who's off at college. One of the things that we argued about the most was church attendance. All right, anybody ever been there before? All right, with your kids? Okay. Um, was church attendance, and church attendance, especially during baseball season. And his line to me was, Dad, you know, if you weren't a pastor, you probably wouldn't make me go. <laughs> I, I laughed. Um, but it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a battle constantly for us. And I'd say, no, we're going. And yeah, you're going to miss this tournament to go to D-Now. And yeah, you're going to miss this tournament to go to camp. And yeah, I'm going to make you miss some Sunday baseball games because, you know, we're committed to our relationship with the Lord. See, I, I knew that if he was going to have a chance of being a Jesus follower as a pastor's kid, I need to have as many followers of Christ around him as possible. And I'm looking out over the room and I'm going, yep, you made an impact. Yep, you made an impact. Yep, you made an impact. Here's the thing. Our kids' ministry and our student ministries are amazing and they are so important. And it's not about if your kid knows somebody or if they feel connected in the group. It's not about if it's fun for them or not. It's about who they get to know, Jesus, and whom they get to know, other followers of Christ pointing them to Jesus. Andrew is a part of God's plan of multiplication because of the obedience of people here at Blue Valley. Solely. And the work of the Holy Spirit, and the, yeah, God stuff, Right? but I trust in the church and I trust in what the Lord's doing through his church and his great plan for us to multiply. So if you work in our kids ministry, if you've ever worked with Andrew or any of our students, thank you. Thank you so much. You're so important. Continue to labor and share the gospel and share the good news of Christ. Because guess what? He's out now. He's on his own, making his own decisions. And all I get to hear is a report of, man, I made a good decision or I made a bad decision. But I trust the Lord and I trust what he has been raised up with to remember God's faithfulness. A second thing we must remember to stay faithful is we must trust God's plan. It's one thing to know God's plan. It's another thing to trust God's plan. See, when life is difficult, we tend to turn to God and we turn to seek and ask him for help. And it's during those times that we need to trust his plan. We, we don't need to take his plan because we know it and, and try to form it into our own ideas and try to answer the, 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 the issue of our life the way we plan to do it. 
No, we must trust in his plan through scripture and what he tells us. Because when my hands go on the planning process, I tend to mess things up, as did Abraham and Sarah, and we see Peter do multiple times. But God would rather we just trust his word. In the weeks to come, we'll see that the Israelites knew God's promise and his plan for them. And we'll see that they didn't always trust him. Actually, they rarely trusted him. And this made their lives very difficult. But all along the way, God was with them, multiplying them, blessing them, and continued to work his plan. And it's the same for us today. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for good. It might not look good now, but they will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This may be a season, a season of suffering for you, a season of doubting the Lord and his presence in your life. But the one thing that we must trust is knowing that God will never leave us or forsake us. His plan is always the best, and we need to trust that. So when it comes to trusting God, we need to ask ourselves these things. Do I trust God in what he says? Or do I listen to my own fears and follow my own ways? Am I more concerned about his will or am I more concerned about my will? This is a conversation that we have every day with the Lord, whether we know it or not. The Lord gives us opportunities out of temptation every day. But then we choose my way or God's way. And what's our plan? Which then brings us to our last point, and that is obedience. We must obey God's plan of multiplication. Let me be honest with you. Obedience is scary. Okay? Obedience is scary. It never lines up with our plans. Even in the midst of suffering, the midwives obeyed the Lord. Because they feared the Lord more than they feared Pharaoh. The things that help me obey. Whatever season I'm in. Is remembering that I'm a part of a greater story. I'm a part of God's story. See the world tells me that you know it's all about me. It's all about what I want and what I desire. But no the word of God tells us it's all about him. And we get to be a part of that amazing story. See, church, I've never regretted being obedient to the Lord. I've always regretted disobedience. I've never regretted obedience. But obedience is hard. Obedience can cause disagreements with the ones that you love the most. Like when I told my parents I'm going into the ministry, they just looked at me like, what's wrong with you? but we must be willing to stand on the promise and trust the Lord in his leading. See, obedience to God's plan is not just bringing your kids to church. It's standing for what's right. It's calling people to repentance. It's sharing the gospel to your neighbor, with your neighbor. It's speaking for the unborn. It's caring for the orphan and the widow. We are all called to something. And that something is not to just sit in the pew on Sunday morning and criticize everything that happens in this building. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. 
to everybody outside of this building. God's word says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We've got the greatest message in the world, and that is Jesus Christ. So let us go and multiply. Share with others the story that the Lord is writing through you to others. Share with them the hope that you have so that they, one day, will be a part of God's awesome plan to draw people to himself, to enjoy him, to enjoy all that he's given us and offers us so that then one day we can all spend together eternity worshiping him, glorifying him and all that he blesses us with. I pray that we all join together in God's plan and want to be a part of it. Let's pray.